Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. Today, I thought we'd do a follow-up conversation on our last episode, which was titled, You're Wrong Unless You Have the Right Emotional Response, which was an investigation of an article by Dr. Everett Piper about... Oh, how would you summarize this article? Uh, Well, it was Dr. Piper's... I would summarize it as as Dr. Piper's reply to um, a student in the college, Oklahoma Wesleyan University, where Dr. Piper is president. The student felt victimized by a sermon, and Dr. Piper replies to this notion that you can be victimized by a sermon. And we took issue with that a little bit. Mm. (laughs) So listen to that if you're interested. That's episode 115. And then we, so after we had that conversation, it was just kind of this, this sense was just kind of bouncing around in my head, this idea of being right and the fixation in certain streams of Christianity on the importance of being right. And not only maybe feeling that you yourself have the right answers, but that you need to tell everyone else what the right answers are and kind of uh, beat that into them. It's really important Mm. that you, it's almost like people feel like they have an obligation, I guess, to to make sure that other people have the right answers. And so the Mm -hmm. more I thought about this, this post, this article, the more I wondered, I, I just thought, is there a strain in this, article and I think we kind of said it a little bit but it, it seems to seem to I don't know just seem to be recurring themes I thought about it which was the idea that you know we are we are right we are the university we are right in this situation you are wrong mm-hmm. you need to understand right and you know we're going to kind of set the record straight here by reminding you that this isn't a daycare center and that we're right and mm-hmm. then this morning there was a post from there was a comment on this episode from someone named Mary, and I thought that I, I was kind of encouraged by her comment because I thought, oh, it seems like she's she's understanding the nuance of what we're saying about the importance of dialogue, and and I thought she just kind of summarized it well. I just wanted to read. Uh, I'll just read her comment. Thanks for the really great discussion. I have often been told to speak the truth in love and found it difficult. Truth can often feel harsh. So the dilemma was how to soften it but keep it truthful. Usually I ended up not speaking because that seemed more loving. Or when I did, caused discord. But after listening to your dialogue, I'm beginning to understand that truth and love are equally important as Greg points out. This concept of equality creates a new perspective on disagreement between Christian friends. I think it just gave me a new freedom to speak my perception of truth in a loving way, not to win an argument, but perhaps share a personal insight. Some call me contrary, but I sometimes see things differently. Or I refuse to go along with the crowd. Thanks again for your time and effort in helping me untangle some Christian teachings. I may be a silent listener, but I definitely appreciate what you're doing. Well, thanks, Mary. Thanks for not being silent and letting us know. I really like... I really really like... Go ahead. I was just going to say it's really helpful. It's great to have some feedback. And I'm glad you sent Mary a reply today just as soon as she 
put that in and I've got mine on the burner here to get out to her as well. So, but I really like this. I really like this idea of the, the shift in perception of, of that. Yes, it's about dialoguing because I don't think we can ever, maybe we can win people over by convincing us, convincing them of our rightness, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't, I guess it depends on maybe there maybe it depends on the category or the topic or something like that. But you know, one thing that I continue to come back to over and over again is the experience of people I interacted with Libri. And that was you know, this they were very con- I I think of several tutors come to mind immediately. Some were very, very confident of their perspective and some maybe even to the point of a little bit of arrogance. But there was never, there was never like the knockdown drag out argument of why they were right. It was, it was more the, the dialogue, the back and forth, the, well, what mm-hmm. about this? And, and what do you do about this? And how would you handle this in this situation? Yeah. And letting people kind of, I don't know, kind of arrive at their own place. And so now how does that fit with Dr. Piper in this situation with this student? I guess I'm advocating, you know, more dialogue and less kabam. Here's the answer. This is what's right. And you're wrong. Yeah. There's almost this kind of like, it's, it's the only metaphor I can think of, but there's almost this knockout punch mentality. I can, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to slam you with this. And I, I don't know that, I, I mean, I think Dr. Piper could have been more forceful. I, I think he could have, he didn't, my opinion was not that he tried to shred the student. Uh, you know, he went for, it wasn't a, a personal attack. It was a, a general critique of the kind of mindset, not of the person. Um, but it was sort of, Yeah. I'm putting it out there. It's finished. It's done. This is the this is the right way. You, you, we're straight now, right? You got this now, <laughs> right? No daycare center here. <laughs> no daycare. Get on the get on the university trail, or the door's over there. Yeah, or this isn't the right place for you. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, no, I I very much agree with you. I mean, this I think we're so again that this it's this whole mindset and 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 focus on dispute. You know, this whole notion it's these it's these twin notions you see paul in act 17 on mars hill i think it's 17 and not 16 i'm looking for my bible while you're looking for it i also want to kind of get underneath this like what is the need i don't know maybe i don't know maybe it's a personality i don't find myself totally wired this way but it it seems mm-hmm. that like some people have a very strong need to be right and I just, I kind of wondered about that too. I was like, what yeah. is it? What, what, what is that doing for them? Why, what is, <laughs> there are very few things. I maybe if pushed, I could come up with more, but I don't feel like there are that many things where I have to like be, it's like, well, I'm pretty confident I got, you know, I have the right perspective on this situation, but mm-hmm. you, you have a different view. Okay. I'm not going to stay up all night trying to convince you of my position. I, it's just not that important to me. Yeah. So I guess I'm wondering, like, what's operating for someone that has the need to go down this path of this is right, and I have to convince you that this is right? What is that doing for them? What's their motivation? That's a great question. 
You know, and I think I think if we ask, if we, if we tried to dig in a little bit under our motivations, you know, we would probably have a whole lot more insight into who we are as people and likely for Christians, w- what it is about the Christian faith that, that attracts us, which then that may be a kind of a scandalous thing to say. Because most people would say, well, it's the truth of it that attracts me. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, we... <laughs> we'll mix a little bit of Freud in it and help us all and realize, you know, that there's, there's, or, or you could say mix a little bit of the Old Testament prophets in. It doesn't matter to me which one you mix in. They're both going to come up with the same answer. And yeah, there's more going on here than just truth, right? You're always getting something out of this. You're always finding some advantage, you know, for yourself in this, I think. And we, you know, some of that is good. Some of that is very good. That whole idea of being my best self through being in a love relationship with God and being transformed through that relationship such that I like who I am more ongoingly. I make better choices. I'm a better spouse. I'm a better partner, right? But yeah, to come back to your point, um, it's this whole the, – the, the, the dialogue, the notion of dialogue simply is not there. And, and I understand why with the early church it did not make a lot of sense. You're not going to have a dialogue with Judaism. You are not going to do that. That is not going to work. So by the way, like let's just imagine this, right? By the way, you know that whole monotheistic thing? Well, we're kind of throwing a curveball in that. That just is that, – that, that does not work. In the ancient Near East, there was so much time and so much effort put into distinguishing Yahweh from this panoply of gods. Not only distinguishing as in Yahweh is different, but distinguishing in the sense that Yahweh is alone and only. These are fictions. They're not gods, right? And there is only one God. There's not an assembly of gods or, you know, uh, uh, a cluster of gods. There's only one. And so trying to have that type of conversation initially with Judaism, I think, was a complete non-starter. And I think that's also why there were great acts of the Spirit. There were, there were really incredible things going on that were, were earth-shaking, um, you know, for the people of uh, – in antiquity for, for the people in, in, in Palestine and, and, and spreading up from there, right? And that was one way of, of, of offering uh, credible evidence of the – to substantiate the reality that, you know, Jesus isn't just a prophet, isn't just an important person, isn't just helping us kind of realign or helping Israelites realign. But this is a, this is a shift. This is the fulfillment of the covenant and this is the um, inauguration of the kingdom of God. This is huge. So I, I found my – it is Acts 17. But, we, so, but, but to get – to focus on that, from my perspective, we've got Acts 17. We've got Paul on Mars Hill and he is telling people about the gospel. Is that cool? Is that good? Absolutely. Is that necessary? Absolutely. Did people know already? No. So what are you going to do? You're going to tell them. What did Paul do? He told them. So I, I'm, I'm kind of being a little bit, you know, I'm repeating the same thing two or three times in two or three different ways. Yes, that's absolutely essential. Now, when I go out my door, I live in North America. Is there anyone in North America that I am likely to meet who does not already know something about the gospel, knowing, knowing something about Christianity, something about God and Jesus? And, and I'm not going to kind of get into whether they've got it right or wrong, but the bare bones of it the barest bones of it. Have they heard of this? I would say I, I, I will probably not meet somebody in my lifetime unless they're an immigrant, 
or unless I travel to someplace fairly distant. Maybe if I go to someplace remote in South America, Africa, or Asia. But chances are everybody I meet will have an understanding of Christianity. It may not be my understanding. It may not be an understanding I think is functional, helpful, or particularly accurate. But they're going to have something. So me trying to be like Paul in this situation just doesn't work. It just is not a possibility for me who probably won't find himself in remote areas of Africa, South America, or Asia. So trying to have this mindset when I'm dealing, when I'm speaking with people at a restaurant, when I'm at the library, when I'm at the community center at the gym, not helpful, right? And yet I think so much of what Christians do is they say, okay, this is in the Bible. Therefore, if I'm going to be a good Christian, I've got to do this. Instead of thinking about, well, okay, was this a book dropped by heaven? Or was Paul a person like you and me? Did he have flesh and blood and was born at a certain time and died at a certain time, lived during a certain period? He wrote these texts to certain individuals who would have had a particular background and they would have been informed by the text in particular ways. Yeah, I think that's the case. So if that's the case, then we have to think about this in its context and try to relate it to ours, not just cut and paste it into ours. That's not going to work. And the same thing, I think, with this idea, I'm, I'm, I've got uh, this little article up here, Defending the Faith, 15 Verses That Help Defend the Faith, or yeah, 15 Important Bible Verses About Defending the Faith. So number two is 1 Peter 3.15, but honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And here again, I think, People have this idea, well, it's written there. I have to do it. It has to be right. And I think my perspective is we've, we've talked about that, that article. I don't – do you recall who that was? Which one? You know, that one um, – lessons learned from youth group or unlearning youth group or something like that. I'll dig it, it the, up. Keep talking. It was the one where she was saying, uh, you know, I was so ready to – try to defend the faith at high school that I realized, I didn't realize that most people, almost no one was pushing the point with me. They weren't trying to discredit my beliefs. And I ended up just feeling, just, be, just isolating myself, removing myself from university, from, pardon me, from, from um, relationships because I was constantly on the defensive. I was expecting people to come at me, you know, fists up and they don't really care. That would be episode 82 Unlearning youth group. You're a monster. <laughs> well, Google helps. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, three lessons, three youth group lessons I've had to unlearn by Addie Zierman. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that some of, I think these things are important, but if you, if you live your life with the idea that you need to be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. I think that's going to prompt you either to be completely anxious and you're, you're, you're kind of like you feel like you're going to fail God if you don't do this or you're going to somehow – you're going to devote yourself to a way of engaging with people that I think is just wrongheaded. But that almost seems a different category to me. So are you – so in other words, this vibe that I pick up and I could be bringing it to it. I'll, I'll put that forth. The vibe that I'm picking up in Dr. Piper's post here, like mm -hmm. the, the sense I get is that He's 110% that he's right. Yeah. But 
that seems like a different kind of situation than what you're describing. Or do you see them as the same? Um, not the same, but I see them as quite related in the sense that I think Dr. Piper is defending the importance. I, I, I think he sees the student as challenging truth as opposed to, let's say, talking about what's going on for the student. And I think Dr. Piper wants the student to be extremely aware, crystal clear. You will not challenge, none shall pass. None shall pass, right? You're not coming through my university and trying to, you know, pull some of this stuff because I will shoot you down. And I think that's, I mean, as I mentioned in the, uh, the last podcast, as I mentioned in the two blog posts I did about it, I, I think that's harsh. I think it's unproductive. I think it's misguided. I don't think, you know, that there is something to do with truth here. But I don't think we have to go that road. Like it's just the wrong road to take. But my guess is Dr. Piper is on the defensive. He is very ready to defend. And I don't know if we talked about this much, but I mean this whole idea of boundary-focused churches, right? Where yeah, what's um, that? Well, it's this idea that your your focus is on the perimeter. If your church is, uh, you know, you imagine the old palisade type of fort. And way back when, you know, back in the Bronze Age or whatever, we'd have these moats kind of dug around a, 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 a palisade or a, a ringed wall of trees that had sharpened tops. And that was how we kept people out. That's, I don't know, what are that, what are that, that's from, you know, England, Middle England, or that's from sometime before that in Europe. But that was one way of defending a settlement. And I think that Boundary-focused churches tend to be a little bit like that, regardless of what the wall looks like. The wall might be very inviting. It might be very pretty. It might have a, a gate that – the big sign that says we're open for business or please come in or you know, visitors welcome. But I think that boundary-focused churches typically are places where we are very concerned about who comes in, how far in they get, why they're in. And I would contrast that with center-focused churches, which are very – focused on what's, what it's all about, where it's going to, where it's, the church is pointing towards. So in a, in a simplistic way, you could say that a center-focused church is focused on, well, who is God? What is it to be in relationship with God? Who am I as a person that I could relate with God well? How do I become more aware and more conscious of myself, understand myself better so that this relationship can get improved and, and understand God better? too, right? And, and I think the point of a center-focused church is you may have somebody in your church and you have a pretty good sense that this person is a long way away from the center. You are concerned about them being away from the center. You're not concerned about them being some sort of an invader or somebody who doesn't belong there and who might subvert people towards the sides. You're interested in bringing that person towards the center. You're interested in knowing why you're here and, you know, um, would you care to move closer to the center? What might be helpful for you in that? You know, and I, I'm giving some kind of vague, uh, uh, I'm not giving a lot of specifics, but hopefully the distinction between those two, you know, is, is apparent. And I think that Dr. Piper's perspective reminds me much more of a boundary-focused defensive perspective that, that is a lot about gatekeeping. Um, especially, you know, anytime you've got a, you know, here's the door sort of mentality – 
that's a gatekeeping mentality, right? You either do things this way or here's the door. You follow the rules or you do what's expected or you, um, you promote the things that we promote. You value the things that we value. And um, you recognize that when well, you're not doing that, you're making a mistake. And that's all there is to it. And that's, that's for me, I guess, when you're saying that he's got this sense that he's right 110%. I, that's how I would read it, that he's saying, hey, you know, any mistake that's happening here is yours. Because we've got this all laid out. This is the right way to do it. You can either accept that and change your ways or here's the door. So back to this idea of why, the motivation. Do you have any ideas on there? Like is it is it that someone feels threatened, that they're overcompensating, that they're afraid that maybe they're wrong or what? Like, Well, this, is, this, this gets a little tough to – to, to do not, not in the abstract. Yeah, and I'm not using him as an example. I'm just, well, or maybe, no, I'm not thinking of him in particular. I'm just kind of, yeah, painting with a broad brush, but maybe that doesn't work. Well, let's, let's go, f- well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot, and I, I think I can be hopefully, um, you know, judicious in this, but I would think that the whole, f- that fear is, a, is more and more a component, the less that someone has power and authority. So in other words, if you're talking about uh, a minister or uh, uh, a teacher at a seminary or president of a college or somebody like that, that's a person with a lot, of, a lot of power, a lot of authority, and probably a lot of knowledge. And my guess is, I, I, could, be, I could be wrong, there's a lot less fear going on for somebody like that because they don't have a lot to be fearful of, you know? Um, it, it was interesting to me that I've tried a couple times with Dr. Piper to engage him and I've had, um, Oh yeah. You said you were going to do that in the last podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And I did. And I I posted, (laughs) I posted on his Facebook page, uh, you know, a couple of times he is, um, a prolific poster. So he posts very frequently. Uh, he doesn't seem to reply much. And, and if that's his style, then obviously, you know, you know, Facebook flags you, gives you so many flags for whatever responses or blah, blah. And I guess for somebody who's as prolific as him, you might just get into the habit of ignoring that, right? So you're not really going to, you're not really looking for people to respond. You're just looking to put out stuff. And I won't make a comment on that. I mean, I don't, I don't find that personally. I would not do that because I don't think that's helpful. It's not engaging in dialogue. And then that, that could also be playing, you know, I guess I'm, I am making a comment to here on this point that I made earlier about dispute versus dialogue. So I don't think that that way of engagement is helpful for promoting dialogue. But just to leave that aside, um, yeah, my hunch is for most people who, for Christians, let's just say, if you don't have a lot of uh, sense of, you know, the Bible, and, and if you haven't given a lot of thought to how some of these biblical understandings interplay with, you know, real life, I, I, my guess is there's a lot of fear there. For, for people like that. And I think that it would be good to, to, you know, it's easier said than done, but to step back a bit and say, okay, well, what are my motivations? What would, in other words, there are two ways to approach it. One is what would be the downside? Ask yourself the question and write down some answers. What would be the downside if this, this other perspective were true? Mm. Okay, that's the first question. That's one perspective. The other perspective is to say, 
what would need to be true in, other, in order for this other perspective to be correct? What would need to be true? What are the other things involved that would need to be the case? And look at the comparison from both perspectives and say, okay, well, gee, if, if um, you know, it would need to be, what would need to be true for a student to, uh, to, 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 to get a kind of um, uh, a pretty direct uh, response, almost a scolding, if you like, for this type of behavior. Well, I, I'd need to see something about who that person was. What would need to be true? I, I, it would need to be true that this is a person who cries wolf a lot. This is a person who's looking for attention. This is a person who's been responded to gently and has been responded to personally a number of times. And I'm getting the sense this guy's a troublemaker. I'm getting the sense that this just isn't working. This is a pattern for this person. And I'm gonna have to push back a little harder, right? So I, I don't know the full story there. And no one, I don't think does with this whole, letter from Dr. Piper. My hunch is the way the letter was written that this was just an initial contact and that's how Dr. Piper handled it. I wouldn't have done it that way because I don't think that that's um, productive at the very goals that, you know, Dr. Piper's trying to um, promote. But um, but I think there's a subtlety to what you just said there. Because mm-hmm. what I hear you saying is he did it the wrong way versus the right way, but yet what I hear you saying is no, it's there's there's per, there's a more there's one way that produces a more productive outcome, yeah, and there's another way that produces a less productive outcome. I guess if you if you're looking for dialogue, if you're looking to really understand and know the other person versus just bring the hammer down on them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I guess the thing about right and wrong is right and wrong doesn't help me if I'm at all curious or critical. That's the wrong way to do it. Well, why? What's wrong about it? What didn't it achieve? It seemed to achieve something here. What's wrong with what it achieved? So, yeah, I would want to say, well, okay, what, you know, what's involved in it being right? What's involved in it being wrong? And, of course, I, I would probably go towards better and worse, Right. There aren't too many times where I know where I think to myself, this is the right answer. This is the right perspective. This is the right approach. There are a lot of times where I'll say, you know, this is a better one. I don't think there are most most occasions I don't have enough I'm not I don't have enough expertise. So in some areas of my life, I feel like I am confident enough because I have enough background and expertise to say, I think this is really the right way to go. You know, and, and, and many times we, for many things in our lives, we just do this and we say this is the right way, but we're, we're not meaning it quite that way. You know, like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. The car is sounding funny. Go in and get it checked out. So it's not a capital R. <laughs> no, it's not a capital R. Not most times, right? But, but to get back to your earlier point, though, I think when it's not fear, I think it's conditioning and I think it's a sense of responsibility. So I think somebody who's a pastor a seminary prof or the president of a college or university, Christian college or university, probably has this sense of conditioning, number one, and number two, responsibility. I'm responsible for these people. I'm responsible for being a role model. I'm responsible for teaching. I'm responsible for, um, you know, sucking it up and, yep, this is the hard road and I'm going to say it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that this comes along with sort of being disciplined, with working hard. A lot of these folks, if they're in this position, they've put in some years uh, of study and, uh, you know, diligence and, and rigor. 
And I, I think all of these things are valuable. Um, but I think we need to be really careful when we start to claim responsibility for other people. You know, I'm responsible for me and saying what I need to say. Uh, I was on Facebook today. Uh, I work remotely. So Facebook, anything is always on. Like I'm, I'm very, I'm very obtainable through, um, anything electronic and somebody posted something and I thought, I think, I think you're come, this is not a helpful way to approach this. And I put it away and I said, I'll go back to work. And then I thought, you know what? I really have to start putting this down. This is someone in my community. And so I said, well, I kind of just, just shifted it a little. I didn't come, I didn't say anything about that's wrong. I said, you know, I really value this, this quotation that this person took a negative view of. I said, you know, I actually value that and here's why. And I think that's something that I'm responsible for some of that, right? I had a sense there, you know, Greg, you're going to have to start doing this sooner or later. What's wrong with now? It's an innocuous comment and you can make a little baby step in road. And I guess that's too. The other thing is, you know, I, I think we are making, for the most part, making baby steps with folks. And it doesn't mean you can't be definitive. You know, if I'm the president of a college, um, you know, here are the, here are the bylaws, here are the rules. You know, no, I'm sorry. You, you cannot get an A from this course that you did not attend and refuse to write any exams. That's just not how it works. And that's cut in stone. That's, that's how it is. But um, in other cases, I think we need to, when we're talking about people and moving people along, you know, I guess I wonder, the other, the other approach that I would, I would wonder about for people in authority is, how can you leave someone with a question at the end of a disagreement? How can you leave them with a question that will motivate them in the right direction rather than leaving them with instructions and or commands? I really like that. Because if you can do that, all of a sudden, it's, it's like, okay, so I've got a problem with my shoulder. This is, this is real. I've got a problem with my shoulder. And um, the guy, the chiropractor is a great diagnostician. And he just said, hey, listen, these muscles here, like you have totally over, they're not firing. They should be firing. They're slow twitch. They're actually holding the shoulder in place. You're putting a lot of weight on and then you're doing it. And no wonder you feel terrible. That hurts because the, the muscles that are supposed to be there aren't supporting you. And when you ask a question, all of a sudden you engage a whole bunch of faculties, right? You throw something back at somebody. What do you think would happen if every time you felt victimized, you wrote down two paragraphs about why? Yeah. And not why about the other person, why about yourself? <laughs> why am I feeling this way? Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think, you know, would you be willing to do this over the next little while and da 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 you know, doing something like that, then all of a sudden you've engaged there. They're, they're, it completely off balances someone. It's like, okay, I'm, no, I'm not being attacked here. It's a question. My, my imagination is engaged. My creativity may be engaged. Uh, on the emotive side, I'm not being shut down. I mean, Dr. Piper's letter certainly shut down that person's emotive responses as, um, you know, childlike. The whole well, daycare that Peace. sounds and it sounds so productive. I really, really like this. Yeah, the okay, uh, whatever this you know the student. So you know, why don't you write a page on you know 
Why, why do you think you felt this way? And what was going on for you? And let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's such a different outcome. Yeah. Or even do you, you know, what classes do you have where writing on this subject would be appropriate so that you can do this in the context of a paper, but you can still get something personally in terms of your own growth out of this? You know, or you could even just give two or three questions, you know, something like, so what do you think would have had to been different about that sermon for you not to feel this way? At what point did you feel like this was, whatever your word was, victimizing? And what kept you from leaving the room? How much contact have you had with the person who spoke? And if you haven't expressed your concerns to that person, what do you think would happen if you did? And, and you, you know, I don't know. These are just examples. I, uh, trying to find the exact right question I don't think is, is necessarily the point. Um, some of those I mentioned I think are better and some of them are a little further from the mark. But the point I think is that you can be specific about the rules, particularly if you're the guy, you know, the buck stops at the president. Like I get that. The buck stops here. Maybe it stops at the board of directors, right? The president is answerable, but generally the buck's going to stop there. So I, but, but, but there are two sides. It's not just the rules, it's the person and the rules. Uh, I think I've left tire tracks all over that person, big knobbly tire tracks. And that in my world is not how I want to live. I don't think that's cool. And I think that when I try to model Jesus or model, uh, who God wants me to be, um, leaving tire tracks on people. And I have done it before, uh, is that's just not on my, um, it's not my modus operandi. I just don't want to do it. I think there are better ways. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.